Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month. Get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shoutouts, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to GatorsBreakdown.SupportingCast.FM to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Joining me is co-host Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC and his site readandreaction.com. Will, right before, what, a couple hours before we go live? University of Florida announces we are going to have a full capacity swamp this fall, my friend. So Gator friends rejoiced everywhere in Gator Nation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I rejoiced, right? It's it, oh, yeah. Dan Mullen finally gets his wish. The place is going to be full, and hopefully everybody sort of has that pent-up energy from last year and supports the team. And, you know, the, the last time we had really big, big games coming in there, LSU in 2018, Auburn in 2019, sort of the big ones that we remember of just being packed. We got Alabama coming up week three, buddy. So, uh, you know, those, those tickets, I think, are already in like the $500 to $600 range already. So certainly people yeah. are excited and, uh, and need to fill up that student section. Oh yeah, yeah. Pack pack the swamp there. We can we can we can say it and get away with it now, Will. And nobody nobody would dump down our throat because uh, it's all it's all good there. So uh, we can sit there and say it. We uh, can we can look forward to it. And Will, I am interested in seeing the dynamic. You know, before the first game of the season, you know, you're going to be hyped up, of course, because I mean, I I, I throw it up, uh, of course. You know, Florida Atlantic's that first game of the season. But then you got Alabama two weeks later. I mean, of course, it's Alabama's coming to town. It's not going to be matched. But I am interested to see the dynamic between Florida Atlantic's the first home game that is going to be normal since 2019. But then, of course, you get the big SEC game with Alabama just two weeks later. It is going to be interesting to see that dynamic of how much those two games are different uh, for, for the fans anyway. 
It, well, I mean, I, I almost wonder whether it'll be sort of cathartic for that first game, right? Is that people will go there because they didn't have the opportunity to do it last year. You don't really appreciate it till you don't have the ability to do it. Sort of like, you know, we didn't appreciate the Spurrier and Meyer eras, eras maybe as much as we should have until Muschamp and McIlwain came in and we realized what things could be. So, um, you know, hopefully that's the way it is. And then and then don't forget that it's essentially a home game down there at Raymond James as well, right? That, yeah. that place is going to be rocking and rolling with Gator fans in there too. So the team is going to get a lot of support those first few weeks and you know hopefully they can roll that into some big wins and, and start momentum early for a for a special season yeah there was a video shared over the weekend of a i think it was the auburn game of a full pack swamp singing we are the boys and i even i even tweeted that way i was like you don't know what you have until it's gone and then i was like this is what we're looking forward to two days later university of florida announces the plan is for full capacity ninety thousand in the swamp uh, coming up this fall. So something to look forward to. And uh, as, as we get closer to football season, as uh, we get into summer, uh, I think uh, tickets, uh, they're doing that ticket push. And I know that many plans out there will probably get single game tickets going on, going on sale really, really soon. But uh, as, as Will said, even all the fans out there, us as well, that was the best news we could get today. Yeah, man. Can't wait. Can't wait. Hopefully I can get down there for a game this year. That's that's always sort of been something to do with my brother and my dad. That's one of the cool things about college football, especially the Gators, is that it's always a family affair. And I mean, the closest friends I have from school, um, those are all people who are invested and involved in the football program, as opposed to some of the engineering people that I hung out with when I was there and, and, doing, and doing work down in the uh, windowless basement when we were doing some of our homework. But, uh, you know, hey, it's 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 it doesn't feel like it's three months away, but it's only three right. months away. And, you know, it's, it's been such a long time since the bowl game. It's been such a long time really since spring practice ramped or, you know, wrapped up. Um, you know, it, it's going to feel like a really long time by the time August comes around, but we're really not that far away. Yeah. The, uh, the drum is getting ready for thunder at a harmonic woods tailgate. Uh, the, 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 the dispute, the, the, the speakers and the music getting, getting ready, getting tuned, uh, they're ready for those big tailgates that start early, so early in the mornings, but uh, wouldn't have it any other way with the, uh, you know, full crowd also means bigger tailgates. So that's, that's another aspect I'm, not, I'm looking forward to. Well, I got to learn how to pace myself because the problem is when the, when the tailgate starts at eight in the morning and you got a big game coming up at eight o'clock at night, you got to make sure you actually get there for the eight o'clock game, yeah. especially if you've paid to come down and, and, uh, and buy the tickets to get in. So, uh, you know, harmonic woods is a great time for everybody, obviously, but, uh, you know, ho hopefully we got to learn to pace ourselves. It's, it's been a year, year and a half, no, you know, that, with that break, you got to make sure, uh, you know, go slow to start out with Florida Atlantic. So maybe that's why it won't be quite as crazy because everybody, <laughs> will have had to figure out exactly how far their their tolerance has fallen over the year. That's what it's a great news there. Great news there. Let's get into this episode here. Well, we're going to look at the potential of the Florida offense for 2021. Uh, and look, there's no better way, I think, to learn than history. Doesn't mean it's going to turn out that way. But I think starting with Dan Mullen, Dak Prescott, 2014 offense, I think is a great starting point uh, to look at what this offense can be with Emory Jones a dual threat quarterback. So, of course, starting with Dak Prescott in 2014, going all the way through Felipe Franks in 2018. I mean, it was 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. All straight years there of having dual threat quarterbacks for uh, Dan Mullen offense. And um, some more, some better dual threats than others, of course. You know, Dak Prescott and Fitzgerald 
better runners than Felipe Frank. Frank's a, a better passer than Nick Fitzgerald. So you get all kind of dual threats there in that five-year window, Will, uh, there. So I, I sent you – uh, some some history there. Uh, this uh, today, I'll have those graphics up. Uh, you know, some stats I think are pretty important when we look at this offense. But uh, will that that'll be the theme of this episode is trying to maybe garner something from what Dan Mullen's done before and trying to not necessarily predict, but maybe give us a glimpse of what we may get in twenty twenty one. Yeah, it's interesting. I went back and looked at some of his offenses going all the way back to 2009. Some some different statistics we'll talk about. But one of the things I think I've, I've gotten a lot of people who've asked, what do I think is going to happen to the Gator offense? And, and I think there are sort of two camps. There's one camp that's like, you know, we haven't seen it yet. And then there's the other camp that's like, I trust Dan Mullen. And I think when you go back and look at the stats, I mean, so Mississippi State was 117th overall in yards per play. The year before Mullen arrives, they, they improved to 66 the minute he walks through the door right? They didn't really change personnel. They didn't change players all that much. They just got a lot better because they had a better guy running the offense. And then Florida, right? In 2017, they were 104th overall and had been in the hundreds for the last three years with McIlwain and Nussmeyer. And then in 2018, they jump up to 32nd, even with Felipe Franks at quarterback and some of the struggles that he had. So, you know, when when people say they trust Mullen, I mean, the, the, the proof is in the pudding when you start looking at the offensive numbers, at least, that, you know, he took over offenses that were just abysmal and immediately turned them around, which gives me a lot of confidence when you talk about switching quarterbacks from Kyle Trask to Emory Jones to whoever, right? That that he's going to have an ability to, to, to keep things going, keep that sustained. Now, again, the question is, how good can you be? What's the ceiling, I think, is what we're sort of talking about. But I think we're pretty comfortable in terms of what we think the floor might be. Yeah, even some differences with the same quarterback in some and things I noticed when looking at some of these stats here. Uh, so before we get there, remember you can find Gators Breakdown at news4jacks.com. You can find all the Gators Breakdown episodes there. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. Really helps us out here on Gators Breakdown. Gets Gators Breakdown noticed even more when people are searching through YouTube for Florida Gators content. Like and subscribe on YouTube. And go leave us a, a review on iTunes. It really helps us out as well uh, on iTunes. Everybody, a lot of people listen. If they don't watch the YouTube version, the iTunes version is the uh, most popular podcast version. So it really helps us out there. Leave those reviews, like, and subscribe out there. It really helps us out here on Gators Breakdown. So, all right, well, let's start. Uh, go back, as I said. We'll go back to 2014 and Dak Prescott and that uh, Mississippi State offense, 36.9, so basically 37 points per game. That was good for 17th in the country, Dak Prescott-led uh, offense was. 77 plays per game. That is the highest mark by far <laughs> for, for a damn all-in offense. Uh, when you look at it like, like that, especially dual threat uh, quarterback, 30 and a half attempts uh, passing per game, 16 attempts per game rushing. So this is what I wanted to look at and, and or gather in looking at all that. Will responsible for forty six and a half plays per game running and passing. That was good for sixty point four percent of the whole offense was run through Dak Prescott. And look, no surprise there. Two hundred and ten rushing attempts. Will almost a thousand yards rushing from the quarterback position on two hundred and ten attempts that led the team by twenty by twenty carries, average of four point seven yards there for Dak Prescott. Josh Robinson was the next leading uh, rusher by attempts for with 190, 1,200 yards, 6.3 yard average, and Ashton Sumford 47 attempts, 274 yards, 5.8 yard average. So, well, what I uh, garnered here was 
it was basically a two-man rushing attack for, for this Mississippi State offense when you look at Prescott and, and Robinson kind of shifting that. Look, this this offense right here with Emory Jones would be the ideal offense. It's going to be hard to match. One reason I see it's going to be hard to match, in no way, shape, or form do I want Emory Jones rushing the ball 210 times. They don't get me wrong, not all rushes, the sacks are counted in this as well. We'll see that later with Kyle Trask as well. Sacks are included in this, but it's not going to change the averages and numbers all that much when you look at it. I think if you if you include it for these dual-threat quarterbacks, you have to include it for quarterback like Kyle Trask too, just to see what the dual-threat brings you in, in, in that regard, Will. But, man, 210 attempts by the quarterback position, I don't see that. <laughs> no way I see that with Emory Jones. Yeah, it's interesting because when you look at 2014, Dak Prescott had a QB rating of 151.7, which is really, really good. Um, Kyle Trask was at 180 last year, so it wasn't as good as Trask, but still really, really good through the air. And Mississippi State was 16th in the country in yards per play and then 14th in yards per pass attempt. So they were really efficient. The fact that they relied on Prescott so much in the ground game is a little bit surprising. And to be honest, is something that Mullen seems to have moved away from. Now, granted, Kyle Trask was a very different quarterback than, than, than Dak Prescott. And so maybe that was one of the reasons why they moved away from it. But, you know, the 2013 offense, I think th- – the real question for Florida this year is, are you getting 2013 Dak Prescott or 2014 Dak Prescott? Because 2013 Dak Prescott had a QB rating of 126.6, and the offense only scored 27.7 points per game. Now, granted, Prescott was sharing time with, I believe it was Tyler Russell, but but a jump in about eight points per game that next year once Prescott took over and really started to take the reins in terms of being able to throw the ball. Um so I was a little bit surprised, actually, to see that there was so much of the offense running through Prescott, considering how successful they were throwing the ball. Um, I think maybe that's something that Mullen has picked up over the last couple of years, is that if he does have the – if Emory Jones really does show the ability to throw the ball down the field, that he's going to open it up a little bit more maybe than he did with Dak Prescott back in 13, 14, and 15, just because the game has changed quite a bit. And also, like you mentioned, you don't want him to take that kind of beating. Well, and I'll go back to that point, too. 210 rushing attempts. This is going to be a theme, too, and I probably can go ahead and hit it here toward the beginning. You have Anthony Richardson. You have five running backs. There's no need for your quarterback to run 210 times. You're your starting quarterback 210 times. Could Emory and AR combine for that? I still think that's a stretch. I'm not sure I, I put that there either just because of what you have. Damian Pierce, Malik Davis, Daquan Wright, hopefully more Loren- Lorenzo Lingard this fall, Demarcus Bowman as well. Two five-star running backs you want to get, get you want to get carries as well. This well, this running game is such an interesting dynamic of how you split it between not just the running backs. We've talked about that before, but these two quarterbacks as well, Emory and AR, are going to get plenty of carries, plenty of snaps as well. You're looking at seven guys there who are going to demand some kind of carries in, in these ball games. I mean. You give them all three, that's 21 That's twenty-one steps a game that those guys are getting carries. Say you run 70 plays a game, that's, you know, 20 of it are going to guys that uh, do demand carries. So that's something I think is going to be interesting going into fall campus. How does Mullen balance the dynamic of two quarterbacks that can run? One's going to be your starter, get a bulk of the carries. One guy I think you still want to get in there in certain situations and – just keep his interest in there and then Anthony Richardson put him in there, but also those five running backs, there's seven players there that they're going to have to find somehow, some way to spread the ball around. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm less concerned about Anthony Richardson getting all that much playing time. I mean, maybe in some of those third and short, fourth and short type Tebow situations from 2006 where he came in to spell leak. But for the most part, Mullen especially over the last couple of years has not been real keen on disrupting the flow and bringing in the backup quarterback and giving them a lot of snaps. I mean, we've seen that he didn't give a lot of snaps to Emory Jones. They sort of had some Emory packages in various games, but at the end of the day, it wasn't like a consistent thing where on third and one, they brought him in. And then, you know, there, there were times where <laughs> Trask was lighting it up. They were ahead. They probably had an opportunity to get Emory Jones some time back there and chose not to do it, especially in 2019. That was one of the things where you really saw that they left Trask in there in games where they didn't have to. Now, I think in some respects that was because they felt like they needed to get Trask ready, right? That, that it was important to get him reps because he hadn't had a lot of real game reps. But let's be right. honest, that's the same situation this year, right? Is it's going to be important to get Emory Jones reps against USF and against Florida Atlantic going into that Alabama game. So I, I really don't anticipate you're going to see a lot of Anthony Richardson. And then I think they're going to settle on two yeah, or three running backs. Franks, Will, how, many time, how many times did we see Felipe Franks throw versus Charleston Southern that very first game? And he was, you know, Muller wanted to get him comfortable throwing the ball. Yeah, well, that didn't work too well against Kentucky a week or two later, where, where he threw the ball an awful lot, right? I mean, but that's part of the problem, right? Is that is that at some yeah. point you got to be able to sit back and say, I'm going to rely on my quarterback to throw. They're daring him to throw. And the question is going to be, is he going to be able to do it? And you want to have given him the confidence and you want to have given him the experience to when you know you're getting squeezed by Alabama with, with a bunch of four and five star guys out there, that he's going to have the confidence to let it go. And you only get that confidence by by building yourself up against the Florida Atlantics and the South Florida's of the world. So I I really don't anticipate as much as people may want to see it. I don't anticipate Anthony Richards is going to have a huge role. And then at the running back position, I think they're going to have to settle on two or three guys. I think five guys back there is just going to be too much. And that might mean they move Malik Davis out into sort of a slot role. That might mean that he does more catching out of the backfield. It might be that they do a little bit more two back sets where instead of having a tight end, you have another running back, but still that sort of gives you that, that elite, route runner on a linebacker that they were able to get with Kyle Pitts last year. And now they could be able to do that with a second running back. But again, we haven't seen Bowman on the field. We haven't seen Lingard on the field and Damian Pierce and Malik Davis have earned a lot of that time. And, you know, they're going to have to beat them out in camp. So we, we will see. I, I think, um, you know, th there's, there's this idea that Florida is going to have to put an emphasis on the running game. I, I think as I'm looking into the stats, I'm becoming a little bit more convinced that there's going to need to be some emphasis on the passing game and that they're going to have to figure out a way to make that work if they really want to have an offense that sort of at least comes close to replicating what they had last year. Uh, we'll go to 2015 there, Dak Prescott's uh, final year at Mississippi State. 34.4 points per game. That was 32nd in the country. 71.3 plays per game. Like I said, play per, plays per game went down uh, that year. There could be multiple reasons for that. Defense plays a part in that as well. Uh, but it did go down. Now, here we go. Passing attempts went up for Dak Prescott, up to 37 attempts a game. His rushing average or his rushing attempts per game went down to 12. Very interesting that from one season to the next, from 24 to 15, uh, that, that change there. I'll detail that in just a second. Responsible for 49 plays per game, 69% uh, of the offense there. Um, for, uh, for Dak Prescott, led the team in rushing again with 160 attempts, nowhere near the 210 attempts uh, from the year before. So I think, you know, some NFL prep went along in this as well, getting ready for, uh, for, for the NFL, uh, but also, you know, not, no taking nowhere near as many hits uh, that year uh, in 2015. 
Brandon Holloway, 92 attempts. So you had another running back there with almost 100 attempts for 413 yards, 4.5 yard uh, average there. So, Will, you know, th- th- his passing went up. Dak Prescott from 2014 to 2015, seven more attempts per game, four less rush attempts. Still led the team in rushing attempts, but 50 less. Um, uh, yeah, or yeah, 50 less than the, the year before. Whole team rushed rush less. In 2014, Prescott and Josh Robinson combined for 400 carries. The next season, Prescott still led in carries, but the second leading carrier was Holloway with 98 less carries than Robinson had the year before. So Robinson had 190 in 14, Holloway 92 in 2015. The number of plays went down from 77 to 71. But, you know, Prescott accounted for 9% more of the offense the next year. Um, so it, it's – the 2014 was the highest um, points per game average for Dan Mullen with a dual threat quarterback or play, um, yeah, plays per game uh, there. So, eh, passed the ball more in 2015. Points per game went down three points. Maybe not a direct correlation, but 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 worth noting there. More passing points per game went down. Uh, but interesting notes there of uh, the difference in offense and change of Dak Prescott from 2014 uh, to 2015. Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing is, is you look at Prescott, he averaged 4.7 yards per rush. You look at Robinson in 2014, averaged 6.3. And then you go into the 2015 season, and Prescott averages 3.7. Brandon Holloway averages 4.5. And Ashton Shumpert averages 3.9. They couldn't move the ball. And and if you go look at it, they they 38 and a half plays per game passing, 32.8 rushing. So, you know, 38 to 32 is about what, like 53, 54% of the time they were throwing the ball. And then the year before it was 32 attempts passing and 44 attempts rushing. And so there was, there was a considerably different balance. And this goes back to what we've talked about over the last few years with Mullen. When Felipe Franks was in there, it was a run-heavy offense. When Kyle Trask came in there, it immediately became a pass-heavy offense. And so his ability to adjust based on what his quarterback does best – is something that I think he 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 excels at. He's able to figure out how to get the best out of his offense. I suspect a lot of Prescott's numbers, the lack of running one was sort of preparing him for the NFL. But I think the other is they didn't have a bunch of third and twos, third and ones, right? I mean, you look at mm-hmm. you look at the guys averaging three yards a carry at running back, and you're not getting in those situations where you have the ability to make those short conversions that turn into a seven, eight, even a fifteen yard run because you break through past the initial sort of surge from the defense. They just didn't have those opportunities. And I think if you go look at third down conversions, I bet I, I didn't get a chance to look at, but I bet you if you look at third down conversions, they were probably worse in, in 2015 compared to 2014 as well. So, I mean, again, I, I think this sort of speaks to the concerns that we have on the offensive line, that Florida's offensive line last year kind of dictated that they needed to be a pass-happy team. I think Kyle Trask sort of dictated they needed to be a pass-happy team. But, you know, the offensive line, its ability to gel, its ability to move the line of scrimmage is going to be a big story this year because if Lorenzo Lingard, Demarcus Bowman, Damian Pierce are averaging six yards a pop, then Emory Jones is going to get a lot of opportunities on third and one. And if those guys are averaging three yards a pop, he's going to be thrown on third and 13 a lot. And that's, you know, Kyle Trask was really – I felt pretty confident that Trask was going to be able to convert third and 13. But even that, that's a guy who finished, what, fourth in the Heisman Trophy voting. If you think Emory Jones is going to finish fourth in the Heisman voting, then okay, maybe we can be comfortable with third and 13. But I think more of a team effort is going to be required. And if we start thinking about how many rushing yards Emory Jones is going to have, I think that's probably going to be tied to the offensive line, but tied more to how often do they end up in second and short, third and short, fourth and short, where he has an opportunity to maybe pop one. All right, we'll shift and transition to Nick Fitzgerald, 2016. Big change there. 
30.4 points per game, 56 in the country, 72 plays per game. So still over that 70 play mark uh, there for Dan Mullen in this offense. Passing, this is where I was caught off guard a little bit. 28 attempts per game. I just didn't remember Nick Fitzgerald throwing for that many um, uh, times a game. Rushing 15 attempts per game for Nick Fitzgerald. Responsible for 43 plays per game, 59.7. Basically 60% of the offense went through Nick Fitzgerald in 2016. Led the team in rushing. So the third year in a row here for um, Dak Prescott, two years in a row, Nick Fitzgerald, the quarterback, leads the team in rushing attempts with 195, 1,375 yards. 1,375 yards there for Nick Fitzgerald. 7.1 yard Average rushing the ball from the quarterback position was Nick Fitzgerald. Eris Williams, 137 attempts from the running back spot, 720 yards, 5.3 yard average. So very good running uh, stats there. Will making this for the Florida offense is Emory Jones was averaging 7.1 yards a carry this fall. This Gator offense is going to be lethal, opening up running lanes for Demarcus Bowman, Lorenzo Lingard, those. You know, Nequan Ryan, Malik Davis, you'll start getting some home run balls, especially if your quarterback is averaging 7.1. I mean, that's higher than what we've seen Emory Jones do so far. With the, some success running the ball last year and what he's been doing, I think, for what was it, Will? 6.7, I think, for, for Emory Jones, I think, was his rushing average last year. This would be even better than that. So you get a quarterback, especially Emory Jones, a little more slippery of a runner, probably a little you know, top-end speed more so than Nick Fitzgerald. I mean, you're looking at uh, you're looking at a dangerous offense at the quarterback position for 2021 is Emory Jones and getting 7.1 yards a carry uh, from the quarterback position. Yeah, I mean, so uh, Mississippi State was reasonably dangerous. They, th- they averaged, I think, like 30.4 points per game in 2016, but they were 51st in yards per play. So they were kind of a medium level offense. They were maybe in you know just above average. They were 112th though through the air and 10th rushing the ball. So that's kind of the floor of what Florida's going to have. I suspect that that maybe not 7.1 yards per rush, but Emory Jones is going to be up there in somewhere in that five and a half to six and a half yards per rush. So they're going to be in that maybe top 10, top 20 in terms of rushing the ball. But Fitzgerald in 2016, 112th in yards per attempt. And you saw that in the way Mullen called it. I mean, you mentioned he had a lot of passing attempts, but still, if you look at it, Mississippi State called 31.6 passing attempts a game, 40.6 rushing attempts. So, you know, 40 out of 70, 4 out of 7 were, were rushing attempts. And and you even saw that with the scheme. Mullen does some really interesting things with his wide receivers when he knows he wants the quarterback to run, where he spreads them out beyond the numbers just sort of to get the, get the corners out of the play. Makes it a really easy read for his quarterback. And I suspect we're going to see some of that, especially early on with Emory Jones, where they where they – allow the formation to dictate the read and then make it an easy read for the quarterback. They did that for him or for Nick Fitzgerald quite a bit. Um, in particular, there's a game against LSU where they did it a bunch and I, they'll probably save it for the Alabama game, but I imagine there's going to be some formations that make the reads pretty easy and make, and sort of open up the running lanes for Florida. Um, and we'll see whether they're able to take advantage of it. But, um, you know, certainly a step back there in 2016, but the step back was not in running the ball. The step back was in, was in passing. Nick Fitzgerald, just not the same passer as Dak Prescott. And so, again, they were 51st in the country in yards per play. Um, that's, I think, the absolute floor of what the Florida offense will be under Emory Jones, just because it's about as bad as you can be passing, but pretty good running at the quarterback. And so, you know, if you say what's the absolute worst they could be, I think that's probably where you're sitting. 
There you go. I think, yeah, this uh, 2016 offense, That's it, I think we've said it, not necessarily looking at the numbers. I think we've said it here on this show before, Nick Fitzgerald and that offense is the floor. We're looking at the numbers. I, I completely agree with you, Will. This was a thir- this was the lowest points per game since 2014 for Mullen dual threat offense, 30.4 points per game. It was the lowest uh, for a Dan Mullen dual threat offense once Dak Prescott came on board. You know, Mullen had his players involved. That's where that's one reason I have a, that starting point there. Is that's where you know you, you look at Dan Mullen, the quarterbacks he recruited, what he developed, and the style of offense that you know he can run and runs at best sometimes up until last year. Uh, you look at that offense, and I think that's a good starting point there because this is what we want the Emory Jones offense to look look like, the floor of a Nick Fitzgerald offense, but hopefully better than that, Dak Prescott, and we'll get the Felipe Frank 2018 uh, style there. But, yeah, this 2016 um, um, Nick Fitzgerald offense would be the absolute floor. One last look at that, as I said, 30.4 points per game. It was good for 56. That is the lowest points per game for a Dan Mullen dual threat quarterback offense so will let's go to 2017 here dan mullen's final year at mississippi state up to 32 points per game that was good for 41st in the country 76 plays per game that's a lot of plays per game uh there for an offense that wasn't really passing the ball <laughs> still all that much uh and, and pretty good when it finished it just wasn't there and his numbers went down drastically as far as how much he was involved in the plays of this offense passing 24 attempts per game, rushing 13 and a half attempts per game, responsible for only 37 and a half plays per game, 49.3% there uh, for Nick Fitzgerald. First time, Will, first time quarterback did not lead in rushing attempts since 2014 with Dak Prescott. You know, I started with that 2014 uh, year, second in rushing here for Nick Fitzgerald as far as attempts go. 162 attempts, 984 yards, 6.1 yard average. Still, uh, still a threat there to run the ball. Eris Williams, running back, led the team in carries. 236 attempts from the running back position, 1,107 yards for a 4.7 yard average. Uh, Colin Hill, who we know to be a good running back, was third on that team with 78 attempts. Uh, for 393 yards, five, um, five-yard average there uh, for Colin Hill. So, Will, a couple of takeaways here. The production fell down for one Nick Fitzgerald, maybe because you have what we are looking for this year. Going to one of your previous points, how does Dan Mullen in 2021 with five running backs, how do you determine who gets the ball? Well, Eris Williams, Colin Hill, two good running backs in their own right. We wonder if Dan Mullen will rely on one running back. Can he have a workhorse running back? Has he done it? He has done it. In 2017, this is the proof here. Eris Williams, 236 rushing attempts for Dan Mullen running back. That's – now, I don't see – because you have the five deep that we discussed earlier, I, I don't see anybody getting near 200 carries here. But I think it does go to prove if you're going to have one guy who can be a difference maker, you go back to last year – Yes, you could say maybe Malik Davis deserved more carries. Yes, maybe Naquan Wright deserved more carries. Yes, maybe Damian Pierce deserved more carries. But those guys aren't head and shoulders above one another. What you're looking for is a home run threat of a Lorenzo Lingard or Demarcus Bowman to be different than those three guys who got a bulk of the carries last year. So can one of those guys separate from the pack that we saw last year to go and garner 120, 130, 140 carries? 
If I, I think what 2017 shows is, if there is a running back out there that can prove he deserves that many carries, then he will get them. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Fitzgerald's production fell down. I think one of the things that maybe we need to consider when we're thinking about Florida's offense is that Mississippi State in 2016, law or Fred Ross was a senior wide receiver, caught 72 balls from Fitzgerald. The year before, caught 88 from Dak Prescott. He goes away, and all of a sudden, they don't have a go-to wide receiver anymore. Nobody caught more than 27 balls off of Nick Fitzgerald. And without having that safety blanket, his performance through the air really fell down. And then you can start squeezing the run game right that if you don't have that threat the guy who can convert third downs the safety blanket then things get worse so his his um, QB rating actually went from 124 to 117 and then Mullins call, play calls went from it went from I think 32 passing down to 27 and went from 40 rushing up to 48 almost 49 rushes per game so Mullen relied much more heavily on the running game even though he wasn't relying as heavily on Fitzgerald in the running game and granted Fitzgerald got hurt during that season as well but the the, the that was end of the year. That was the year. Right. But I mean, the end of the story is Fitzgerald wasn't playing as well. Right. But again, I think, how does that relate to Florida? Well, Florida's losing Kadarius Tony and Kyle Pitts and Trevon Grimes. Right. And you look at the production from the wide receiver position from last year, and there aren't a lot of guys, there aren't a lot of catches coming back. And so somebody's going to have to step up. And, you know, you mentioned all the running backs, but I think one of the keys is going to be who can be that safety blanket. I mean, is it more a gamble at tight end? Does Keon Zipper step up to be a guy who can make first downs? Um, does Xavier Henderson step up to be the guy who can, who can, catch that slant on third and nine when they need a key first down those are the things that are going to sort of dictate how you know we talked about the floor but those are the things that are going to dictate how high the ceiling is is do they have that wide receiver who can separate become sort of the go-to guy for emory jones because um kyle trask was pretty special in terms of his ability to be able to spread the ball around the field i don't know that you're gonna be able to expect that from every single quarterback who comes through the system but you have a series of reads and and having the right guys in the right place for those reads is going to be a big part of that. So yes, I agree that, that, that it would be great to have a bell cut running back and a guy who can take it to the house. But I think one of the things, and maybe this is something Malik Davis can actually serve and if they serve as if they move him into the slot is a guy who, you know, third and six, who are you going to go to? Hey, you've got the home run shot that you're sort of looking at. And then what's your check down, right? And, and is Emory Jones able to take the check down? Is that guy able to get open? Is he able to catch it consistently? And is he able to break a couple of tackles and get a first down, even if it's thrown a couple of yards short? You know, Fred Ross was able to do that for Mississippi State in 2015 and 2016. Wasn't there to to do it in 2017, and I think Mississippi State's offense really struggled because of it. All right, so that was Dan Mullen's years at Mississippi State from 2014 to 2017. Pretty good look there, I think. You know, a, a way to, to to look at what we could see from a, a Dan Mullen dual threat quarterback from his time at Mississippi State, and I also think we should definitely throw in what we seen from what we saw from Felipe Franks 2018, and you know, being a, a, a Dan Mullen somewhat dual threat quarterback, definitely not dual threat in the mold of a Dak Prescott or Nick Fitzgerald. We know that, but he did run. They did rely on his legs a little bit, especially toward the end of the year for some, for some big plays. So I think we still need to look at that for somewhat of a hybrid of all these offenses that we're looking at of maybe some glimpse of what we can see uh, from an Emory Jones offense in 2021. So 35 points per game, 22nd. There was a huge jump and it was pretty Pretty good for Dan Mullen to come in here and be able to do that, but uh, also good for this, this Florida offense that um, you know Mullen all, around that mark. He said the year before uh, at Mississippi State was at 32 points per game. His first year at Florida, he raises that with a 
a whole brand new offense, brand new players. He raises his points per game average from his last year at Mississippi State to his first year at Florida. Three more points per game for Dan Mullen and, and, and Felipe Franks in this offense. 35 points per game. That was good for 22nd in the country. 68.3 plays per game, Will. So didn't hit that 70 play mark uh, that he was hitting it consistently at that Mississippi, uh, those Mississippi State days. Passing 25 attempts per game for Felipe Franks that year. Eight and a half attempts per game. Uh, rushing responsible for 33 and a half plays per game that year, only good for 49% of there. So limiting how much involved Felipe Franks was in this offense. We saw all the screens uh, that were there to the wide receivers, you know, that, those count for Felipe Franks as well. Uh, but it was the two headed monster at running back in 2018 that really carried us offense uh, that we, that we know and see this was the, um, um, second year in a row where a quarterback and look we didn't we never expected Felipe Franks to lead the team in carries so second year in a row for Dan Mullen that a quarterback did not lead the team in carries Felipe Franks was third in rushing attempts with 110 for 350 yards 3.2 yard average well Michael Pirine that year him and Jordan Scarlett's stats will were almost identical that year Michael Piran led the team in attempts with 134, 826 yards, 6.2 yard average. Jordan Scarlett, only three less attempts, 131 attempts, 776 yards, a 5.9 yard average. So very similar stats there uh, for the two-headed running back, Michael Piran and Jordan Scarlett. So we all, I mean, we all know, going back and looking at that, it was an early season. I mentioned it earlier, trying to get Felipe Frank's um, – Confidence up in that midseason low where the offense was doing just enough to get by, like versus LSU versus Mississippi State, going just doing enough to get by, keeping Florida in those games and some ugly games versus Georgia and Missouri. And then the flip switched, starting that South Carolina game, Felipe Frank started running the ball better, running with a little bit more emotion, as we all remember, kind of transformed that offense as that, that as that in the 2018. Uh, come along there, but uh, just kind of looking at that, they they really limited, of course, in comparison to a Dak Prescott and even early Nick Fitzgerald of how responsible Felipe Franks was for some of those plays for Dan Mullen. Yeah, it was interesting. So this this 2018 season, when you look back, is really kind of a carbon copy of the 2016 season where Nick Fitzgerald first took over at Mississippi State. The difference is, is that Mullen found different ways to generate rushing yards from the quarterback position. So Kadarius Toney had 21 rushes for 240 yards, 11.4 yard average. He wasn't lining up at wildcat, but there were those end arounds that were big plays on a lot of different, at a lot of different opportunities or a couple of wildcats, but for the most part, they were little end arounds that turned into big plays. But again, you're using, you're, you're using the threat of somebody who's not a running back to gain yards. Damian Pierce also averaged 6.1 yards per carry on 69 carries. So another 424 yards from him. So you get 660 yards from Pierce and Tony, add that to the 1500 from P Ryan and Scarlett, the 350 for Franks. And all of a sudden you got an offense that's 19th and running the ball pretty close to what it was in 16 and 17 at Mississippi state. They were 10th and 21st in yards per play at Mississippi state. Those two years, 19th at Florida in 2018. The difference is that Fitzgerald was really, really bad throwing the ball. And Franks was not the best quarterback in the world, but he was considerably better. So Florida was 71st in yards per attempt throwing the ball compared to 112th and 118th at Mississippi state. 
um, for Nick Fitzgerald, which is why you see that jump from 30 or 32 points a game up to 35, because Frank's put up a QB rating of 143.4 compared to 117.5 for Fitzgerald the year before. And that was really the difference. So I don't think people were necessarily enamored with Felipe Franks and the way he was throwing through the air. But because of all the different things that Mullen was able to do with the different players in the backfield to really help supplement that running game, he didn't have to be fantastic in order for the offense to be pretty good. The offense overall, 32nd in the country in yards per play overall, um, certainly would have liked to have been better through the air, but at the same time, they were so good on the ground that they were able to really move the ball. That's where that's where that 35 points per game came from. Well, and I think you know, we go back to it. That's kind of where the hope lies for 2021 is how come you could come in with a brand-new offense, brand-new coaching staff, and somehow, by the end of that year, that offensive line was was a good was a was probably a strength for this Florida team. And then, you know, we've seen the last two years of this offensive line can't get out of their own way, can't bust a grape, can't open lanes uh, for these running backs. And it, it you know, now going and looking at okay, what you have to do to help Emory Jones. Um, I think he can't go out there and throw the ball 35, 40 times a game. I just don't think that's going to be the offense uh, that, that we see coming up in, in 2021. So can the offensive line help the run game enough? Can it help him enough? Emory Jones is going to be better if he can have success on the ground as well. Open up some passing lanes and open up the deep shot for, for him as well. It does just – it is mystifying in a way of how come you can come in. Now, you had a lot of talent on, on that offensive line, more than we thought going into 2018. We saw Juwan Taylor go and be a first-round pick uh, there for, uh, on the offensive line. Martez Ivy had plenty of uh, uh, experience along that offensive line as well. You know, it come up as a, come as a surprise, probably lacked it toward the beginning of 2018, but by the time 2018 ended, it was a strength. That group was a strength, and now you hope that – with what you have at quarterback again, with what you have at the stable of running backs, that all right, maybe 2018 can be some kind of barometer for how good an offensive line can be once you have your players, your developed players in for a few years, not guys that you just come in one year and get some production out of. I mean, here's the reality, right? The last two years, Kyle Trask has – the defense has always known where Kyle Trask is going to be. Like, he's been pretty good at manipulating the pop, pocket and moving around and buying himself time. At the end of the day, though, the defensive ends have no qualms about what's going to happen. I mean, they're pinning their ears back and trying to meet at the quarterback. And if Kyle Trask escapes and runs for five or six yards, you know, they'll live with that, right? It's, it's more important to get him off his spot than it is to necessarily um, worry about containing him. And Felipe Franks was just good enough running the ball to be able to make teams concerned about that and because he was able to make them concerned about that because they had all sorts of different misdirection plays with Tony and some other things that they were able to kind of keep the honesty of the defensive ends they didn't know where Felipe Franks was going to be at all times they were running a lot of read options and and RPOs and different things like that and so you don't necessarily know where Felipe Franks is going to be I think that's going to be the same trend this year with Emory Jones is you're not going to know where he's going to be the defensive ends aren't going to be able to pin their ears back quite as much, especially early in the game, and especially if they're able to get a couple of big gash plays in the running game because people are running upfield and trying to get to the quarterback. And that's the hope, right? I mean, the hope is that the the offensive line performed better in 2018 because the offense was equipped to help them. Whereas in 2019, when Trask took over, in 2020 with Trask all last year, that the offensive line was not necessarily – that the play calling had to be what it had to be but that the offense, but that the play calling was not designed to help cover up the deficiency the deficiencies in the offensive line. It was it was called to help 
exploit the strengths that they had in Trask and Tony and Pitts and, and Grimes. That won't be the case this year, right? They should be able to call a game that is much more in line with being able to help the offensive line, especially if they if they feel like they've got a couple of weak spots. So I do expect the offensive line will be better. The other thing is when you look at the advanced stats, the offensive line wasn't terrible last year. It wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible. Certainly there are there are places where they could improve, and and the big thing is is that they're replacing a ton of guys, right? I mean, you got Forsyth going to the NFL, Heggie going to the NFL, and and who are you going to replace those guys with with all the issues that they had on the right? side of the line last year but again I, I go back to what i said about just you know mullen's mantra has always been put guys in a position to succeed but the problem is that he had a mismatch but mismatch between the strengths of the offensive line and the strengths of everybody else on offense last year i think that the strengths of the offensive players and the skill players this year is going to be far more in line with being able to protect the offensive line so we'll see some improvement there uh, Will, just for fun, as I said, this was more of a dual-threat quarterback thing, but I think we got to throw Kyle Trask numbers up there uh, as well when, when looking at this, just because of what you're replacing in some ways, because I still think that they're res- you know, responsible for the percentage of players responsible for, but 39, basically 40 points per game, that was good for 13th in the country. That's Dan Mullen's best anyway. <laughs> so even better than the Prescott offenses as far as points per game go. But that was also 70 plays per game. You know, you go back in those Dak Prescott days, it was 77 plays per game in that 2014 year where the, the offense was better overall. That was a 37 points per game for that uh, Dak Prescott 2014 offense. Three points better and seven less plays per game for this Florida Gator offense under Kyle Trask in 2020. Um, 36.4 attempts per game, rushing 5.3 attempts per game. Like, as I said, sacks are included in this, so that's why the – uh, the rushing statistics are skewed, but like I said, you include it for the dual threat quarterbacks just to show how much of a difference they can make when they also get sacked. That's what they bring to the table. But Kyle Trash responsible for 60% of the uh, Gators plays last year. He was third in rushing attempts. If you count the sacks there, uh, 64 attempts, 50 yards, 0.8 yard average. Of course, as I said, that's skewed there. Damian Pierce, 106 attempts, 503 yards, 4.7 uh, yard average there. Malik Davis, 66 attempts, 310 yards, uh, 4.7 yard average as well. Well, one thing I took from that 4.7 yard average, when Eris Williams led Mississippi State in rushing with 236 yards or 236 carries that year, he also had a 4.7 yard uh, per a- average there. And he led the team. He was the focal point of that Dan Mullen 2017 offense. And he averaged the same yards as Damian Pierce and Malik Davis did last year. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I like that you've got Trask rushing yards up here. That's great. I mean, you know, if, if, if we're going to pick apart one part of his game, particularly against the, against Alabama, it's, it's the rushing. But I think, I think one thing that's kind of instructive is Florida was seventh overall last year in offense and yards per play. They were 69th in yards per rush and they were seventh in yards per pass attempt. And so what that really suggests to me is that if you chuck the ball, if you can throw the ball around, it can offset some issues that you might have running the ball. And I think what, what, this really means for Florida in 2021 is that they're going to have to be much there's they're going to have to be much more consistent on both sides of the ball because they aren't going to have trash to be able to bail them out I actually just for for fun I took the quarterback rating of all of Dan Mullen's um, quarterbacks back to 2009 so Tyson Lee Chris Ralph Tyler Russell Dak Prescott Nick Fitzgerald Felipe Franks and Kyle Trask and plotted points per game versus QB rating it's almost a straight line 
So if you want 40 points per game, you're going to need a QB rating of 170. If you want 35 points a game, you're going to need a QB rating of 150. And if you want 30 points a game, you're going to need a QB rating somewhere around 130. So, you know, we sort of mentioned 30 points per game is the floor, but this is really where I think the rubber meets the road when it comes to Emory Jones is that, is that basically his ability to throw the ball is going to determine whether Florida scores 30 points or whether Florida scores 40 points. Um, the good news is the floor is 30 points probably, but obviously then, you know, are you in that 32 to 33 range or yet, or are you in that 37 to 38 range? You know, that's all going to be determined by the way the Gators are able to throw the ball. Well, I think that goes to question. And one, one reason I brought up here and that's, it's pretty much a guess the game is how, how much, how responsible is Emory Jones for the Gator offense? You know, what's the percentage of that? Is it a, you know, 69% as Dak Prescott in 2015, or is it a Dak Prescott in 2014 at 60%? Kyle Trask was 60% last year. Dak Prescott in 2014 was 60%. But also, what does that look like? How many passing attempts is that per game? How many rushing attempts is that per, per game for Emory Jones uh, there? You know, is it, is it, you know, Dak Prescott in 2014? Is it 30 attempts and, and, passing and 16 attempts rushing 16 attempts rushing is probably too many i think for for, for emory jones especially if you are a believer uh in his arm there i think you probably want him around that 30 32 mark uh i don't see the 40 a mark unless you're just fighting from behind uh there for for, for emory jones hopefully that's not the case if if, you, if if he's throwing for 40 attempts a game i think that's probably the case and you don't want that uh there so i think uh, Easy round number probably is right at 30, 30 attempts passing a game and probably in that 12, 13 attempts rushing per game. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what you're really looking at is 2018 Felipe Franks, right? That that he's going to make some bad decisions, that he's going to roll out, he's going to take some bad sacks. There are going to be some times that he frustrates you. And there are going to be times where he makes a perfect throw on time and it's just right on the money and you go, wow, why can't he do that every time? Because it's his first year starting. And we saw that even with Dak Prescott back in 2013. His QB rating wasn't all that great, I think like around 127. And Felipe Franks, it was his second year starting. Obviously, 2017 was a disaster, but it was his second year getting a lot of reps and and put up a QB rating of 143. So somewhere between that, somewhere between Dak Prescott 2013 and Felipe Franks 2018, I think is probably the most likely scenario. You know, the high end is, is that is that Dan Mullen's a savant. And you basically end up with what goes on at Oklahoma where everybody goes, well, they're going to take a step back because Baker Mayfield was a generational talent. Kyler Murray comes in and plays even better. Or Alabama, right? You got Tua and then all of a sudden Mac Jones comes in and puts up a, a Heisman Trophy level, level type of performance. Um, regardless of all the weapons around him, right? I mean, the fact that the fact is is that Alabama's offense was better last year than it was the previous two years under under Tua and under the previous two or three years under Jalen Hurts. And so the question is, is is Emory Jones the first step in Mullen being able to set up that kind of sort of parade of quarterbacks where Emory Jones is going to come in, play so well that all of a sudden he's in the NFL and we get AR next year? Or is it going to be something where he's sort of sitting there between Dak Prescott in 2013 and Felipe Franks in 2018. I think if you were to ask me what's the most likely scenario, I'd say it's he's going to kind of be right there, right? That Florida's probably going to score about 35 points a game, that he's going to run more than Franks did, but probably won't be quite as good a passer, and you're going to end up and you're going to end up somewhere in that 34 35 points per game, which is good enough to go 10 and 3. I don't know that it's good enough to beat Alabama and Georgia and LSU and all the other guy all the other big time teams that they're going to face throughout the year. But again, I think there's upside, right? And I think the upside is, is a question of, 
you know, what is that upside? How does Mullen get that out of him? And, and if this turns into a situation where, you know, you remember Clemson was sort of at that 10 and three mark with Tat, with Taj Boyd for, you know, two or three years in a row. And then Deshaun Watson comes in and all of a sudden the team is considerably better under Watson and, and is going, you know, 11 and one, 12 and 0 winning national championships, you know, is Mullen and is Emory Jones able to raise the team to that level, put them on their back and maybe make up for some, some deficiencies on the defensive side of the ball? You know, time will tell. But I think, you know, worst case scenario, you're looking at Nick Fitzgerald 2016. I think sort of most likely is probably f- something like Felipe Franks in 2018 with a little bit more rushing. And then best case scenario is you got somebody who's continuing the tradition of Trask, able to get the ball to the right guy, but able to run for five or six yards a pop as well. Yeah, I mean, if he's anywhere near Trask throwing the ball and then knowing what he can do passing the ball, then, yeah, they, they got, got themselves to gym here uh, in Emory Jones. Will, you brought up one of the, probably the most likely scenarios somewhere around Felipe Franks 2018. Going back to that one more time, 35 points per game, as you said, passing 25 attempts per game. Probably expect a little more than that. If you had to guess, I'd probably say 27, 28 attempts a game. Uh, they're rushing, like I said, 11, 12. So probably responsible for more than 50% of the offense, I'd say, for Emory Jones. Uh, pure guess here of just kind of looking at his skill set more so uh, closer to a true true dual threat, more so than Felipe Franks. And, yeah, I'm interested. You know, Felipe Franks' bigger arm, uh, of course. We know Emory can fling it down the field, but you know, can he be accurate in that 10, 15, 20-yard range in the middle of the field? Uh, we've seen him attack the middle of the field a whole lot uh, through his years here. You know, can he progress in the passing game enough to, I think, where Dan Mullen feels comfortable in throwing the ball near 30 times a game with Emory Jones, and I think uh, over 10 over 10 times uh, of carrying a game there. So I think looking ahead, Will, going through the history there, I, you know, we've got a pretty good feel for what we want Emory Jones to be. Of with some fair expectations, uh, I think, and then uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes. De- definitely fascinating looking at Dan Mullen's history and kind of maybe piece together uh, where Henry Jones can be. Yeah, I mean, you know, we'll see. I mean, Mullen has been incredibly loyal to the guys who come into his program and put in the dues in order to get better. And and you hope that what that translates to is a guy who's ready, right? That he's been sitting there for three years now and he is ready to take the reins and he's ready to step in and he's gotten just enough experience to where some of maybe the big time mistakes will be gone. And, you know, it. And hopefully the big time mistakes get made against teams like Vanderbilt and Kentucky. And when he and when he's playing against uh, Alabama and LSU, you know those are those are the clean games. But I think the the variance in the performance. I mean, we knew what we were getting with Kyle Trask every time he walked out on the field last year. I think we'll probably there's probably going to be a bigger variance game to game for Emory Jones. The question will be, can he put together that clean game against Alabama, the clean game against LSU, the clean game against Georgia, and then maybe have some of those growing pains against teams where the Gators are just significantly better and able to able to overcome some mistakes because they're the physically superior team. Yeah, right, so there we go. Look at look at history there that maybe can tell us what we can look forward to in twenty twenty one. All right, well, man, um, that'll do it for this episode here. What you got uh, got coming up at Read Reaction this week? Yeah, so this actually wet my whistle a little bit about uh, about Dan Mullen's history. So I mentioned I had plotted QB rating versus points per game. I got something coming on that. Just sort of was the what is the expectation for Emory Jones, or at least. I, I think him throwing the ball is going to be the determining factor for Florida winning. So you can go over and check out, check that out. That should be up tomorrow. Um, looking at something for uh, uh, 
the playoff. People have been talking about expanding the playoff. I think that's a bad mm-hmm. idea. So I've got a piece to, that's talking about what we can do instead to maybe increase parity in the NCAA. And then Nick and I have a new stand-up and holler. It's going to be going up tomorrow morning. So, uh, uh, you know, sort of a YouTube channel thing that we've got going on where it's just sort of quick hits on some of the topics for the Gators. And uh, so check that out if you get an opportunity. All right. That's Will Miles. You can find him at readreaction.com and on Twitter at Will Miles SCC. Will, maybe um, uh, hopefully preseason magazine next week. Uh, Athlon's uh, hopefully got theirs out there uh, very, very soon. I know it's done printing and shipping this week. So maybe find it on the, uh, Maybe find it on the store shelves this week. So uh, not not completely sure when it will be released and if we'll have time to go through it uh, next week or not. But that'll definitely be coming up in the next couple of weeks. So uh, you know how we're not uh, we're not going to do like a, we're we're not going to do a floor and a ceiling for Grantham's defense next week. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, I think we've talked enough about that <laughs> to kind of see. Uh, I gotta be honest. It, it, it's it sort of snuck up on me, you know. Preseason magazine already. Like I realize yeah. they come out earlier and earlier every year, but you know, I can remember reading those as a kid, going on summer vacations and things like that. So the fact that they're coming out, you know, means that we're about to have a good time during the summer. We're all allowed to go outside again, or at least most of us who've who've been vaccinated are going to be allowed to go out and, and congregate. And and uh, once once we come back inside, we'll all be able to have a good time tailgating and then filling up the swamp. Man, I can't wait. Yep, yep, getting closer, closer, closer. All right, that'll do it for this episode of Gators Breakdown. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore S-E-C. Get out there. Thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. <laughs>